Super glad you're with us today. Um, before we dive into the word, though, one other actually really exciting announcement is Kramer and Alyssa um, are on vacation, which is amazing. They, uh, Kramer has actually preached 60 weeks in a row, which is too much. So we're very excited that they get a week off. So um, we get to hear from Cade today, which is going to be amazing. Cade leads uh, YC, and so very excited about what we get to do uh, together today that way. But if you could be praying for Kramer and Alyssa, just that they would unplug, they'd get great family time. Um, We're very excited for them. So we're going to go ahead and dive into the word real quick, and then I'll pray, and then Cade will will come on up. So we're going to be in Psalm 93. It says this, The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed in majesty and armed with strength. Indeed, the world is established, firm and secure. Your throne was established long ago. You are from all eternity. The seas have lifted up, Lord. The seas have lifted up their voice. The seas have lifted up their pounding waves. Mightier than the thunder of the great waters, mightier than the breakers of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. Your statutes, Lord, stand firm. For holiness adorns your house for endless days. So Jesus, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that you are bigger than our problems. You're bigger than our fears. You're bigger than all the things that we're worried about. We thank you that you are powerful. And so we just invite you, Jesus, to be yourself today. We pray that, Holy Spirit, you would do what only you can do, which is change us. And we thank you that... um, you fill this space. And so we just pray that you'd be with Cade today. Thank you for him, his love for you. We pray that you would just speak to us today through the word. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Awesome. Thanks, Evan. How's everyone doing this morning? Uh, Well, like Evan said, uh, my name is Cade. I get the incredible gift uh, to work on staff here at Heart Church. Uh, I specifically help out with all things youth culture uh, and unofficially skateboarding as well. If you haven't noticed, we got a mini ramp upstairs. It's pretty sweet, pretty dangerous, but it is a lot of fun. Uh, I love skateboarding, even though I'm not very good at it. And if you ever find yourself at the Gig Harbor Police Station next to the skate park, God forbid, chances are you might see me trying way too hard to relate to a young person through the medium of skateboarding. Uh, But honestly, I would gladly endure the bruised shins, the rolled ankles, and the scraped elbows if it means that I get to tell one young person about Jesus. Uh, Because I really believe that if young people in this community were sold out on Jesus, that lives would change for the better. Uh, But this morning, I could not be more excited to share with you what I feel like God uh, has put on my heart for this message. Uh, So for this morning... I want to start by reading from Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 21. This is what the Word of God says. He went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it's written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, to proclaim good news to the poor, He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. 
as we continue to read the scriptures and listen to what God is speaking to all of us collectively this morning, would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for this morning for moments like this. I just ask that all my words would fall flat and your words would rise to the surface. Uh, would we not play church games? Would, would, would we be so invested with who you are and what you're speaking to us this morning, Lord? Would you give us enough courage to believe that we could understand this for ourselves, that we could apply it to our lives, that it could change everything about who we are? God, would this morning be set apart and we invite your Holy Spirit in because we acknowledge that without him, we are dead in our transgressions. So we love you, we give you all the glory, and we give you the spotlight this morning because you deserve it. Amen. Amen. So to give some context to this passage of scripture that I just read in Luke chapter 4, Jesus, he comes to Nazareth, the town that he grew up in, and when he gets there, he goes into the synagogue to read. It was common practice at this time for one person to stand up in the synagogue and read a passage from the scriptures that they had at that time. When Jesus stands up before everyone, he asks for the scroll of Isaiah. And if you were a Jewish person living at this time, you'd be well aware of the fact that the scroll of Isaiah is packed full of messianic prophecies. And sure enough, Jesus reads a famous messianic prophecy, and when he's finished, he declares that the prophecy that he's just read has been fulfilled in everyone's hearing. This is the mic drop of all mic drop moments in the narrative of Scripture. Jesus is claiming to be the guy that everybody's been waiting for, and he's doing it surrounded by all the homies that he grew up playing t-ball with because he's in Nazareth, right? The city that he'd been brought up in. This is a wild moment in the entire narrative of Scripture. This morning, I want to look at what Jesus is claiming in this passage in the Gospel account, but far more importantly how Jesus backed up and accomplished what he's claiming in this passage. First off, what is Jesus claiming in this passage? Well, Jesus is claiming to bring about healing to the five-fold damage that sin brings. Because the truth is, sin impoverishes, sin breaks hearts, sin enslaves people, sin blinds us, and sin oppresses people. Jesus is primarily focused on redeeming sin, even more so, than increasing the wealth of poor people, freeing incarcerated individuals, opening blind eyes, or freeing oppressed people. Not because that stuff isn't important to him. Because if you read enough of the Gospels, you'll find countless stories of Jesus improving people's physical situations. But because Jesus clearly understands the simple truth that sin is the greatest enemy to our ultimate purpose, which is to know God And to serve him wholly. And Jesus is claiming he's come to rectify all of that. Maybe some of you are in the room this morning and you're thinking to yourselves that one of those five effects of sin couldn't be more true in your life. If that's you this morning and you're feeling impoverished, brokenhearted, held captive, blinded, or oppressed by sin, hear the truth this morning that Jesus came to right that wrong and to become sin so that you might become the righteousness of Christ. Jesus goes on to say that he's also there to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And this is a very specific claim that alludes to a tradition that was recorded all the way back in Leviticus chapter 25. 
In Leviticus chapter 25, the author writes about something called the year of Jubilee. And to understand this tradition, we first have to understand a little bit of biblical context. In the narrative of scripture, the number seven shows up everywhere, and it represents fullness or completeness. For example, God rested on the seventh day. The Bible mentions seven churches in the book of Revelation. Jesus uses seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. And Joshua is commanded to march around the city of Jericho for seven days. And these are just to name a few. The way that the year of Jubilee came to be every 50 years was by multiplying seven, the number for completeness, times seven to get 49 years And after 49 years had elapsed, the 50th year, the year of Jubilee, would begin. Once every 50 years, the people of God would engage in a year of release from all types of indebtedness and bondage. All prisoners and captives were set free. All slaves were released. All debts were forgiven. All property was returned to its original owners. In addition, all labor was to cease for one year, and those who were bound by labor contracts were released from them. This was a year for the people of God, as well as the land that they occupied, to rest. So when Jesus stands up in front of everyone in the synagogue and makes the bold claim that he is there to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, he is referencing the tradition of the forgiveness of all kinds of debt. Jesus is alluding to a fresh start. I don't know about you guys, But sometimes I would do anything for a fresh start. Maybe you feel similarly. Maybe you've been longing for a fresh start relationally with that one person. Or maybe it's financially for you. Or maybe it's from sin and shame. Or or even yet, maybe you're looking for a fresh start for your reputation. We all could probably point out one area of our lives where we're in desperate need of a fresh start. And Jesus is saying in Luke chapter 4, that that's available to all of us. All throughout the narrative of Scripture, when people come face to face with the Savior, they get a new identity. They get a fresh start. The blind man in Scripture went from being an outcast and a nobody to a testament of the Lord's goodness. Zacchaeus went from being greedy to unbelievably generous. Peter went from being your every, everyday ordinary fisherman to being the rock that the church was built on. And there are countless other examples who were afforded a fresh start once they came face to face with the Savior. Jesus is claiming in that passage that everyone who hears the good news has the opportunity to respond and receive a fresh start. And that includes you this morning. So Jesus claims freedom from sin and a fresh start. But all of this, to be honest, is meaningless. And I mean meaningless if he didn't do anything about it, if he didn't back it up. So in the spirit of looking at messianic prophecies, we're going to jump on over to Isaiah chapter 53, verses 5 through 11. And this is an absolute chunk of scripture, but I'm going to read the whole thing, so strap in. This is what the word of God says. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he also did not open his mouth. 
By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he'd done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. This passage in Isaiah chapter 53 It foreshadows the death of Jesus that would ultimately justify so many. This passage from Isaiah, it details a suffering servant. Someone who would come and suffer for the sake of many. For mine and your sake. This idea of Messiah as a suffering servant was actually the opposite of what a Jewish person living in this context would have expected. People in that time, they were expecting someone like King David a Davidic-type king who would come and crush the Romans and reinstate Israel to its former glory. But let's take a look back at Scripture to the gospel account of Jesus' death in Mark chapter 14, and you decide for yourself which version of Jesus and Messiah this better fits with. Verses 60 through 65 says this, Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent, and he gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes and said, Why do we need any more witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him, they blindfolded him, they struck him with their fists and said, prophesy. And the guards took him outside and beat him. This account sounds a whole lot more like the suffering servant than it does the triumphant king. Jesus is not proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor by overthrowing the power structures of the time or by exercising his power over people. No, he's doing it by sacrifice. My friend David Gusick, who's an author and a pastor, writes this. He says, thankfully, Jesus didn't come to only preach deliverance or even to only bring deliverance. Thankfully, Jesus came to become deliverance for me and for you. Do you know that this morning? That the king of glory did not simply talk about delivering you or even set things in motion to deliver you, but became deliverance on your behalf. But what is deliverance? What could that actually look like? Well, deliverance could look like no longer engaging in that habitual sin that you can't seem to shake. Deliverance could be waking up for the first time in months and the first emotion you feel is joy instead of depression. Deliverance could be looking in the mirror for a first time in a long time and delighting in what you see instead of criticizing it. Jesus offers deliverance through his sacrificial act of love on the cross. For a moment... Let's take a step back. Let's think about everything that we've heard this morning. Jesus claims this in Luke chapter 4. The spirit of the Lord is on me 
because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Incredible. So how is this going to work? What would this actually look like in someone's life recorded in Scripture? What would it actually look like applied? Well, in Matthew chapter 27, verses 21 through 26, this is what Scripture says. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? Asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who's called the Messiah? Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and he washed his hands in front of everyone. I'm innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, his blood is on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. This story is the perfect example of Jesus' words in Luke chapter 4. My friend David Gusick once again takes some creative liberty about this story of Barabbas when he writes this. We can imagine Barabbas in a dark prison cell with a small window waiting to be crucified. Through the window, Barabbas could hear the crowds gathered before Pilate, not far away from the fortress where he'd been imprisoned. Perhaps he could not hear Pilate's one voice ask, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? But he surely heard the crowd shout back in response, Barabbas. He probably could not hear Pilate's one voice ask, Then what shall I do with Jesus who's called Christ? But he certainly heard the crowd roar in response, Let him be crucified. If all Barabbas heard from his cell was his name shouted by the mob, and then the let him be crucified, when the soldiers came to his cell, He surely thought it was time for him to die a tortured death. But when the soldiers said, Barabbas, you are undisputed, a guilty man, but you will be released because Jesus will die in your place. Barabbas knew the meaning of the cross better than most people. We wonder if he ever really took it to heart. Do you realize that this morning? That this is me and you. That we are Barabbas, those who Jesus died for, and now the ball is in our court to either acknowledge him or to close ourselves off to the good news of the gospel. This is a real example of the fresh start from sin that Jesus alludes to in Luke chapter 4, being shown through the radical love directed towards the person of Barabbas. Just like Barabbas, me and you have been afforded a fresh start because Jesus died in our place. I can imagine Barabbas being approached by Roman guards who proceed to unshackle him and release him back into the community that he was a part of. I bet he walked around overcome with joy and amazement at the fact that he was supposed to be tortured that day, but now had his whole life ahead of him. Time to make memories, time to form relationships, time to do something productive with his life. Imagine how light and free he must have felt. But you know what the crazy thing is? As he went about his day experiencing the joy of having his physical life spared, Jesus was dying for something far deeper as he hung on Golgotha. Barabbas' life being spared that day was only the start of what Jesus did for him. Jesus was dying for Barabbas' eternity. So often we highlight the fact that Barabbas walked free but failed to recognize that Jesus died for so much more. He died to make a way for us to be near to him 
forever. But what does all this mean? Well, there's a multitude of takeaways for us all today. The first being, if you've ever experienced the five-fold damage of sin in your own life, Jesus offers deliverance. The second takeaway is that Jesus backs up his claims in Luke chapter 4 by becoming the suffering servant and therefore gives us a model of how we too should love. Me and you should be sacrificial because it's the only way to push back the darkness and it's the opposite of what culture tells you to do. The third takeaway is that me and you are represented in the person of Barabbas and are now free to respond to grace. It's interesting though. There's no account of Barabbas turning around and thanking Jesus and giving him his devotion for taking his place. But Jesus didn't take Barabbas' place to earn his thanks, nor his devotion. No, he took his place to create an opportunity for Barabbas, just like he does for me and for you. And that opportunity is available to every one of us this morning. But how do we accept this fresh start? How do we get to know this personal God? How do we acknowledge perfect love? For starters, recognize your sin. I know it's not a very fun one, but when you look at your sin, and then you look at the perfect love of Jesus that gives you a fresh start, the only response is deep gratitude. Practice sacrificial love by putting other people's wants ahead of your own, and watch as you become more like Jesus. Read the scriptures and find yourself amazed at a story written by approximately 40 people who happen to all have a united message. Find moments to just be quiet and listen for the voice of God. But if you only hear one thing, one thing from the message this morning, would it be this? That Jesus didn't just preach deliverance. He didn't just set things in motion to bring about deliverance. But he became deliverance and got his own blood on his hands so that you and I could be free from the powers of sin. So that you and I could receive a fresh start. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you uh, for the fresh start that you've afforded us. Uh, We ask that you give us enough courage to believe that it's available to us, Jesus. Uh, We just ask that uh, the truth of what you did for us, the radical nature of grace, would sink into our hearts and our minds. We love you. Amen.